Rolling all mics. Rolling all mics. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh, there you are, right there. Hello, hello. How are we doing, guys? Any questions before we begin? Um, no. no. Okay. Today's Taylor Reed script is The Gas House Gang, a historical screenplay about the 1930s Cardinal baseball team, written by Nicholas Pangaliden. The Taylor Reed is directed by yours truly, Garrett Tripp, produced by Aaron Goodenough, sound engineered and designed by Sean Kilker, and made possible by Jade Harrell, director of on-demand content and community partnerships, St. Louis Public Radio. The talented actors reading today are Cliff Mirabella. Hey. Caitlin Gant. Hello. Keith Nussbaum. Howdy. Chris Moore. Hello. Tanner Risner. How's it going? And Nicholas Guerin. Charmed, I'm sure. All the actors will be playing multiple roles. We really hope you enjoy our tailored version of The Gas House Gang. All right, ready, gang? All right. Lights, audio, action. Paul 12 and Dorothy 12 search for flat rocks in the grass. They bring them over to Paul's brother, Jay 14. These are the best we got. Watch how it's done, Dorothy. Jay flicks a stone. It skips on the water many times. Not bad, Jay. Heh, <laughs> on the wrist. Jay offers his arm for Dorothy to feel. She rolls her eyes. It don't look that hard. Paul throws a rock. Jay and Dorothy watch with pity as Paul sinks stone after stone in frustration. Paul quits for a breather. Here, Paul. You'll get it this time. Dorothy hands him another rock. He calmly pitches the stone against the water. Sanford, the landowner, monitors his farm hands. He hears something whiz through the air. Sanford sees a sack hanging from a tree. He ambles up in front of the dangling sack. Watch out! Sanford falls to the ground just as an apple whizzes over his head and smacks into the sack. Sorry, still working on that curve. Sanford looks up at Paul Dean, now 22, biting into an apple. Face as smooth as the day he was born. A simple-rooted man with colossal ambition. Damn it, Paul! Paul folds clothes into a suitcase as Sanford lectures him. I can't keep letting you run out like this for half of the season. I, I could be picking apples too. But now, instead, I gotta pick your damn replacement. Time away from making money to put food on my table. I swear, this is the last time. If I don't get out of the miners this year, I'm calling it quits. No, no, I I'm calling it quits. If you leave now, then you're gone for good. Paul hesitates. Next time Dorothy comes back down from the city, he closes up his suitcase. Tell her bye for me, would you? Paul grudgingly heads towards the door. You stupid son of a... You'll miss out on the best season yet! No, I won't. Paul slaps a dirty mangy baseball cap on his head. Paul strolls to a paper boy hollering on the sidewalk. Unemployment up 25%! Read Roosevelt's big ideas! Paul hands over some change to the paper boy and takes a copy. Post office. Paul stands in line. He reads an article titled... Employment rate reaches all-time low. An available post office clerk waves Paul up to the counter. Mail for Paul Dean. The clerk heads in the back. Paul turns the page of his newspaper. Dizzy goes for fourth year as strikeout leader. Paul crinkles up the newspaper and drops it on the counter. The clerk returns and hands Paul two envelopes. He heads towards the exit doors and examines his letters. One is from Dizzy. The other envelope has a faded picture of something cardinal logo. Paul shoves Dizzy's letters into his pocket. He tears open the second envelope. He reads the letter inside. Come to St. Louis and we'll talk. Cardinal's general manager, Branch Rickey. Train station. Paul slides to the ticket agent's window. One ticket to St. Louis? He places some crinkled bills and change on the counter. You're about a buck short. Come on. Can't you give me a break? I'm too broke to give you a break. Paul looks up to see his train's number. 21. Paul hides in some bushes with his suitcase. A train pulls up to the station. 21 written on the side. Paul tiptoes towards an open car. A crew member appears and Paul quickly rolls on his back underneath the train. The train starts rolling forward. 
Paul sucks in to make himself as flat as possible. The train speeds up. He lifts his head up a smidge to peek at the end of the train. Instead, a low piece of metal rushes past his face. Paul quickly drops his head back down. The piece flies over a hair away from his cheek. The train passes over Paul. He jumps to his feet. He sprints after the train and heaves his suitcase inside an open boxcar. The train slowly gains distance. Paul turns his legs to catch up. His hand reaches out and clasps onto the boxcar. His legs die underneath him and his feet drag on the ground. Paul gives one last surge of will to pull up onto the train. Paul rolls inside. He lies on his back and breathes heavily. He looks down at Dizzy's letter protruding from his pocket and flapping in the wind. A January stamp on the corner. Paul opens it and slides out a blank card. Paul opens up the card to find a dollar and an inscription. Prohibition's over. Have a drink on me, little brother. Dizzy. Paul squeezes the bill in frustration. He rises to his feet and looks at the zooming scenery outside the boxcar door. His hand fiddles with an imaginary ball. Paul leans down as though he reads a sign from a catcher. He nods. Paul winds up to throw his fake ball out of the boxcar door. And here's the pitch. He kicks and... Exterior carnival night. Some stacked bottles fly into the air as a ball knocks into them. The carny resets them all inside his game booth. What'll it be this time? Jay, Dizzy Dean, now 24, tosses a ball up and down. Very cocky, but for good reason. His skill only surpassed by his charm and wit. Next to Dizzy, a little girl points to a stuffed bear. You heard the little lady. The carny hands the bear to the little girl. Pick the next one, Pat. I want to see how long until I need tooth rows. A mob of young kids raise their hands and hoot to be chosen. Dizzy's wife and manager, Patricia, 26, points to a short boy poking his tiny hand out of the crowd. She's a southern belle with the patience of a saint. And the snap of a gator. So I heard a rumor about Paul. Branch finally bringing him up? He's letting him go. Over my dead body is that. Patricia tilts her head over at the group of young kids. Stanker, cutting my brother. Get me on the first train to St. Louis. The first train? She smirks at her husband. Well, first train to Mar. He fires another ball at the bottle. <laughs> Exterior banks of the Mississippi River. St. Louis Hooverville, a community of 500 starving and cold. Row after row of makeshift shacks built from garbage scraps. Overhead, an ominous cloud of pollution lingers from the surrounding factories and power plants. These gas houses seem to do nothing else but churn out smoke and despair. Train station. An oncoming train toots to announce its arrival. It slows to a halt. Paul, now in a suit, jumps off with his suitcase. Hey, you! Stay right there! Paul takes off with the crew member right after him. Paul runs behind the corner of a building. He glimpses over the side at the crew member scanning everyone on the street. He glances in Paul's direction and Paul ducks back around the corner. Paul presses against the wall. He feels a tug on his coat. Paul turns his head and looks down at a young boy, four, pulling at his coattail. That's when Paul lifts his gaze and notices that he's at the end of a soup line. He takes out the dollar that he got from Dizzy's card. Paul puts his finger to his lips and hands the dollar to the boy. Paul peeks around the corner again. He sees the crew member angrily kick the air, then turn back towards the train station. Paul's sigh of relief fogs the air as it hits cold. Then, he feels someone come up behind him. Nervously, Paul slowly looks over his shoulder, only to find some hungry men standing behind him. Paul looks forward and back again, realizing that he's officially part of the soup line, right where he'll be if his mission to St. Louis proves to be unprosperous. He steps out of formation and trudges alongside the soup line. A harsh, brisk breeze blows by. He bundles his arms. The soup line huddles tightly to try and stay warm. Branch Ricky's office, day. Paul's teeth chatter as he waits in a guest chair. Inside the office is barely warmer than on the street. Paul wanders around the office to get the blood flowing. He looks at the photos on the wall. He leans in to admire a picture. As he straightens back up, his shoulder knocks a frame off the wall. It crashes to the floor. Paul picks it up. It's a photo of Dizzy with his cap tilted up. A slight smirk on his face. Paul notices his own reflection against the cracked glass, when Branch, Ricky, 53, 
Storms inside. Bow tie and lit cigar. He'd pinch two pennies until he got a nickel. Hello, Mr. Ricky. Branch doesn't look up from the sheet of paper in his hands. Paul quickly hangs the picture of Dizzy back up and takes a long stride away from the wall. I, I got your letter. We sent that weeks ago. Branch takes his seat behind his desk. Paul sits again in the guest chair. Branch finally gazes up at Paul shivering. I'm able to keep Wild Bill Hallahan from what I save on my heating bill. Time's that tough? It's taking everything we got to hold on to our big guys. Paul's voice becomes stern as he understands where this conversation is heading. And what about us small guys? Branch exhales a dark cloud of smoke from his cigar. There just isn't room in the budget. He lays out the sheet of paper onto his desk. Paul sees that it's full of his statistics. But 22 wins, 315 ERA, 254 innings. Even in the minors, that's impressive. Someone will pick you up. I can't start all over again on a new team. By the time I show what I got, my best years will be gone. Sir, you can't go in there. Suddenly, Dizzy swings the door open. Disheveled hair, eyes that saw little sleep, if any at all, from the night before. You're all out of toilet paper. Got any stocks I can wipe my ass with? Through the open door, Branch sees his assistant pick up the phone at her desk. Should I call the authorities? No, it's fine. Branch comes around his desk and closes the door. Dizzy, this is a private meeting. <laughs> Not as private as you thought if Pat got wind of it. Jay, this doesn't involve you. But what she heard has to be wrong, Branch. Cause I know ain't no way you do something as foolish as... He spins into Branch's chair and sets his feet on the desk. Cutting my little brother? I don't need you to talk for me, Jay. It's not just him, Dizzy. We had to turn away 20 guys from trying out this spring. Paul gets in between them, refusing to be ignored. Just give me a shot. Let me try out and I'll prove I belong in the bigs. And if you don't? Then I'll pay you back for his lodging. No harm, no foul. Money I'm sure that I'll never see. Yep, because I'm making this team. Branch scoffs from Paul's gumption. <laughs> he thinks for a second. Both of you report to Florida. You won't regret this, sir. Paul feverishly shakes Branch's hand. Two deans on the same team. Make room on that wall for a new pennant. Dizzy notices the cracked picture of himself on the wall. He glares at Branch while Paul still shakes his hand. Don't tire that arm out, son. You're gonna need it. McKenzie Field, day. Home of the Cardinals spring training. A bus stops at the corner of the street. Dizzy's passed out, face pressed against a passenger window. Paul shoves Dizzy to wake him up. Dizzy wipes the drool from his lip, then stretches. <sighs> yeah, uh, I had quite the long night. Every night is a long night if you never go to sleep. Paul and Dizzy carry their luggage down the bus aisle. Uh, you should have seen the gal all the fellows were striking out with. Reminded me of old Hank's daughter. Rhonda. That's it. I may got a gun for an arm. Paul chokes up a laugh as he steps off the bus. The bus continues on its route as Paul and Dizzy pace side by side in the parking lot. She was my first kiss. <laughs> Pops us by the big oak. Whoop my ass good. Yeah, she was my first too. Pop didn't catch us though. Surprising, on account of how loud she was and all. Dizzy elbows Paul for emphasis. Paul bitterly looks away, but what he sees now happens to steal his attention. Paul peels away as Dizzy keeps going ahead. Dizzy turns around to find Paul meandering off. He grins and follows behind. The brothers lean over a fence that surrounds the baseball field. They overlook veteran players and young hopefuls warming up on the freshly trimmed grass. We've come a long way from rocks for balls and broomstick bats. Speak for yourself. I still got rocks for balls. <laughs> <laughs> Dizzy laughs. He pats Paul on the back. I'm glad you're here, Paul. Paul fondly gazes at Dizzy for a sincere moment. Me too, Jay. Locker room, day. Paul and Dizzy step inside as players slip on their uniforms. The brothers come up to a poker game. Dizzy reaches at the cash on the table. A hand snatches Dizzy's wrist. Keep your damn hands off my pot. Leo the Lipped Arocher, 29, believes a hard right solves most arguments. He hasn't met a vice that he didn't like either. Gotta pay off your bookie, Leo? Worse. Divorce lawyer. Dizzy gets sidetracked and goes off to banter with some other teammates. Paul stays near Leo in the poker game. So, you're the little Dean. Isn't it bad enough having just one of you? Paul stands straight, clearly not appreciating the nickname. Jay and me are each our own man. 
Leo sizes up Paul's arrogant posture. I see a resemblance. Paul shrugs off Leo's opinion and scans the locker room. So, which one's my locker? <laughs> you gotta earn a locker, Rook. Leo laughs as he slaps down his cards and pulls in the pot. Locker room tunnel. Branch walks and talks with Frankie Frisch, 36. All rough, no fluff, hardened like a sea captain that sails through a constant storm. I finally picked out our new manager. So when's the poor SOB get here? As soon as you step into the dugout. Frankie chuckles at the ridiculous thought. I don't need that kind of torture. Plus, I've seen how being a manager can bring out the worst in a man. That's exactly why you're the perfect man for the job, Frankie. These guys need a true leader. One they'd follow to hell and back. I'm pretty sure a few of them are on their way already. He stops just before crossing the threshold into the dugout. I want to do it my way. Of course. Within moral reason. Not this crap again. I don't see why we can't be ethically and athletically superior. Well, you clearly haven't spent enough time with your own team. Frankie steps out of the tunnel and into the light. Okay, listen up. Paul, Dizzy, and the other players kneel in front of Frankie. If you haven't heard yet, I'm manager now. The team starts clapping and whistling. Pipe down. Y'all ain't nothing to be proud of. Fifth place last year? Sixth the year before that? I inherited nothing but leftover spit wrapped in a sack full of But that ends now. The team practically takes a unified gulp. This ain't no vacation. The team takes batting practice. Paul hits a ball off of a tee. Besides him, Dizzy uses the bat to put a ball into a divot in the ground. Next, the team jogs. Paul pants as he trudges along. Dizzy runs backwards and waves to motivate Paul to keep going. I don't want to see who I gotta cut. Later, Paul and Dizzy do push-ups with the team. The brothers face each other, sweat dripping from both of their chins. Frankie notices both Dean's arms wobble as each competes to match the other. I want to see who's gonna quit. Dugout day. Frankie analyzes his team as they play a simulated game. Paul and some other players root from the bench. They watch Dizzy strike out the batter at the plate. A runner at third base has to stay put. Little Ding, you're up. Paul grabs his glove and starts to leave the dugout. Your glove can stay. You ain't sending me in for relief? Frankie picks up a bat and holds it out for Paul. Two outs. Tying run on third. Paul drops his glove and takes the bat. Dizzy spots Paul step into the batter's box. Heads up, this guy's a real toughie. Been hitting off you for years. Dizzy throws an easy fastball to try and make Paul look good. Paul swings and misses. Dizzy pitches a curve way outside, but Paul doesn't pick it up and swings nowhere close to the ball. In his last attempt, Dizzy flips a lazy ball down the middle, but Paul just watches it go by for an obvious strike three. Dizzy sighs, disappointed that his plan backfired. Paul steps back in past Frankie. I haven't seen Dizzy throw that slow in a long time. Paul hunches his shoulders, ashamed. He pops back on the bench. Everyone slides away from him as though he's contagious. Hotel room, night. Paul gingerly opens the door to find Ripper Collins, 30. Five foot nothing, far from the most handsome guy. But he's got a hard swing and a heart of gold. Ripper sticks a pin-up magazine on the wall. This is my room. Mine too. It's one way Branch pitches pennies. Call me Ripper. They shake hands. Paul, nice to meet you. Oh, you're little Dean. Paul eases his sore body into bed. First spring training. No, this is just how I get into bed. You surely got your brother's sass. <laughs> Sorry. Got any advice for me? Yeah. Don't let up. Ripper turns back to hang another pin up. It took me eight years to get called up. I went from slaving in the mines to slaving in the miners. He puts the finishing touches on his picture. And if there's one thing I learned, when you let up, you give up. Ripper turns around to see Paul asleep and spread over the entire mattress. Taking up the whole bed? <sighs> yep, yeah, you sure are your brother's brother. Ripper unfolds a blanket over Paul. Field day. Branch and Frankie overlook Leo at hitting practice. He swings and misses a ball sitting completely still on the tee. I can see why the babe named Leo the All-American out. His glove will save more runs than he'll knock in, but he's a great motivator. Probably manage someday. If that happens, remind me to send his GM some whiskey. He'll need it. 
They stroll on to assess the infielders at different drills. Ripper guards first base. He hops up to reach a soft liner above his head, but he comes up way short. Can I please get a first baseman who's tall enough to reach the top shelf of his locker? Ripper brings Pop to the lineup. He's got Pop all right when someone accidentally steps on him. They turn their head to third base, to Pepper Martin, 30. More cuckoo than a clock, a face that carries 10 extra years, but underneath lies the soul of a young scamp. He somersaults as he misplays a ground ball between his legs. Did Pepper somehow get worse defensively? I'd say he's just goofing around, but who can tell anymore? They finally get to the pitchers. Branch sees Dizzy pitch a ball behind his back. It falls in for a strike. There was another pitcher like Dizzy. I, I would know whether to sign him or quit baseball. Meanwhile, Frankie watches Paul deliver a solid fastball. He whistles at Paul's catcher and holds up two fingers. The catcher nods and puts down two fingers as Paul looks in for the sign. Paul shakes it off. The catcher shows two fingers again. Paul glances at Frankie and Branch monitoring him. Paul readies his stance. He throws the pitch. The ball sails high, way over the catcher's head. Aren't curveballs supposed to curve? Branch and Frankie turn their backs to Paul and continue on. Bar night. Paul sits at the corner. The bartender sets down a bag of ice. He pours a drink for Paul. I just asked for the ice. He paid for the liquor. The bartender points to Pepper, the third baseman. He cleans the bottom of his cleats and waves for Paul to sit with him. Thanks for the drink. Yeah, you look like a sad, sober puppy up there. I'm Paul. Name's Pepper. Pepper? As in Pepper Martin from the 31 championship team? I got called up just for the series. So, what's it like winning it all? Paul places his bag of ice over his pitching shoulder. Uh, before baseball, uh, I used to be a hobo. At night, I'd have to sleep with my goods as a pillow to stop them from being swiped. Pepper stops scrubbing his cleats to take a drink. But being a champion is like something that no one can take away from me. Except, it don't really feel like it's mine. Why not? Showing up at the end like that just don't sit well. I need to start from the beginning and really earn it. Pepper's words sink into Paul. It's just a game. No different than hopping a train, really. Pepper turns over his shoes to reveal that he's not cleaning his cleats. He's actually been sharpening them. Just do what you gotta do to not get left behind. They clink their glasses and take a drink. Exterior, field, day. Frankie plays the field at second base. He sees Joe Ducky Medwick, 22, enter the batter's box. Intimidating is an understatement. Medwick smiles almost as rarely as he strikes out. Frankie ambles to the mound. He takes the ball from the pitcher. Little Dean, grab your glove. Paul hustles to the mound from the dugout. He and Frankie both look at Medwick taking a few practice swings. You know who that is, right? Ducky Medwick. 18 home runs and 98 RBIs last year. Paul's hand makes a fist to hide a nervous shake. Not good enough, though, for Frankie to not notice. Look, do you think you got the stuff to be a big leaguer? Paul inhales to calm his nerves and stands up straight. Without a doubt. Frankie smacks the ball into Paul's mitt. Then don't back down. Medwick waddles into the batter's box. So you little Dean, you gonna yap after every pitch like the smart mouth brother of yours? My arm will do all the talking I need. Paul throws an outside pitch. Medwick hammers it way, way back, but it slices foul. Paul releases a deep sigh of relief. Win saved you, kid. On his next pitch, Paul chucks a beanball right at Medwick's head. Medwick swings and misses as he spins to the ground to avoid being hit. Dizzy laughs and shouts from the dugout. <laughs> hey, maybe they ought to call you Dizzy. Hush up, Dean, or I'll squash you after I'm done with this rookie. Medwick's fuming as he steps back to the plate. Enough fooling. Fastball, coming at you. See if you can catch up to it. Medwick scowls. Paul delivers a masterful curveball. Medwick misses over the top as it lands in the dirt. You said you were throwing heat. And you believed me. Medwick charges the mound. He and Paul put up their fists. Pepper hurries over from third base to come in between them. Oh, hold up, Ducky. I'd hate for little Dean to give you a fat lip to match that waddle. The team laughs. Medwick shoots a death stare to silence them. Pepper grabs Paul by the chin. Besides, you really gonna kill this kid before he's got a chance to grow any hair on his Everyone laughs again. Then Paul and Medwick chuckle. Fine. Enjoy this round, Rook. And Pep, you call me Ducky again and I'll grind you into salt. Got me? 
Pepper takes off his cap to salute Medwick's threat. Let's go. Losing daylight. Sorry, Skip. I'll get the next guy out quick to make up for it. Frankie leans over to mumble something to Leo at shortstop. Maybe having two deans ain't such a bad idea. Huh. I remember saying something similar when I voted for Hoover. Interior, showers, day. Paul buttons up his street clothes. Leo shouts over to him. Little Dean, Frankie wants you. Paul steps inside to find a newly cut player emptying a locker as he screams at Frankie. What am I supposed to tell my wife, huh? How are my kids going to eat? Frankie offers a card to the cut player. I know a guy who has a wood shop in New York. Maybe he can... Uh... I don't know anything about wood. I'm a ball player, damn it. The cut player struggles to hold in his tears. He crumbles up the card and tosses it back at Frankie, who just lets it hit him in the chest. The cut player passes Paul as he exits. Paul faces forward as the player's sobs echo behind him. Frankie sighs. He bends down to pick up the card. You any good with wood? Paul's voice carries a flutter with worry. A little bit. It's good to have a backup plan. Paul hesitates, his nervousness molding closer to anger as Frankie drags this out. I left everything to make this team. I got nothing. Paul points a finger right in Frankie's chest. But I'm a hell of a pitcher. And I swear, if you give me that card, then the next time you see me will be when I'm striking you out. A tense silence comes between them for a moment. You're going to give me a headache like your damn brother. I keep telling you, I'm not Jay. You sure? You both got a temper, too much faith in your own talent. But he's got a grin I couldn't slap off. And you're about as joyful as a worn out boot. So, you're going to cut me for being a little cocky and not smiling enough? No. That's why I'm keeping you. Frankie puts away the crumbled card in his pocket. He taps the newly emptied locker. What jersey number do you want, little Dean? How about 16, right behind Dizzy? No, definitely not. Paul glides his hand on the wood frame of his own locker. 21. And Frankie? It's Paul from now on. Frankie nods and exits out of the locker room. Interior, dugout, day. Dizzy has a swarm of reporters around him, totally oblivious. Paul comes out of the locker room holding his jersey. Dizzy yanks the jersey away from him. Look what we got here. Give it back. Dizzy holds up a Cardinal jersey with 21 on the back. You heard her here first, gents. Two Deans on one team. I reckon we win 40 games just between the two of us. Seems high, Dizzy, even for you. Uh, does it now? Well, you better make it 45 then. Dizzy jokingly keeping the jersey out of Paul's reach, the way an older brother teases his younger sibling. These two could be a comedy team. Dizzy and a Daffy Dean. The reporters and Dizzy laugh. Paul snatches his jersey back. His face sours, the only one not finding amusement in what was supposed to be his moment. Dizzy's eyes express genuine guilt. Come on, boys. First round's on me. The reporters cheer as they follow Dizzy out of the dugout. Dizzy looks back at Paul, who sits alone on the bench. Ripper pokes out of the locker room tunnel. Hey, Paul. Got a reporter here. Tell him too late. Jay just left. Luckily, she's here for you. She? Ripper sidesteps to reveal Dorothy, now 21, right behind him. She's all grown up, but ever still a farmer's daughter who doesn't shy away from getting her hands dirty. Dorothy! Paul leans in for a hug. Dorothy acts like she's about to hug him back when she bops him on the head. That's for not saying goodbye. Ripper winks at Paul. He gives Ripper a not-so-subtle wave to go back in the tunnel. Ripper obliges, after giving Dorothy another once-over. So you drove all the way here just to hit me across the head? No, though it would have been well worth it. My paper wants to do a story on you. Paul grins, finally getting some recognition. A story on me, eh? Yep. Even in Arkansas, people are buzzing about you trying out and- Dorothy notices the jersey in Paul's hands. Oh my god! Paul, you did it! She leaps to hug Paul. With an arm around him still, she moves her hand across the air for him to picture the title. Dizzy Dean's little brother breaks into the majors. Paul's shoulders shrug off Dorothy's arm. So that's all I am. Oh, don't let the title bother you. It's just to wrangle in the readers with a name they already recognize. Then you got the wrong guy. I ain't living in Jay's shadow no more. But an exclusive with me could help you do that. I thought you, of all people would know there's more to me than Dizzy Dean's rookie brother. Dorothy grimly watches Paul hop the stairs out of the dugout. St. Louis, Sportsman Park, day. 
Not merely a baseball field, a stadium. If this is the heartland of America, then Sportsman's Park exudes the rhythm of which it beats. Ushers rip tickets as spectators stand in line to get inside. Paul laces up his cleats as Ripper sits down next to him. Hey, any luck last night? Nah, quite a dame though. She was one tall glass of milk. <laughs> Paul chuckles a bit. So why didn't you come out? I turned in early. You need to come out with us sometime. Let the boys get to know you. They'll get to know all they need when I start tomorrow. Paul slowly slides on his jersey for the first time, soaking in the moment when he finds a tear on the side. You gotta patch that up. What? Don't I just get a new one? Ripper puts on his jersey. Paul notices the three patches sewn into it. Hey, even your ass has a crack in it. Ripper wiggles his finger through the tear in Paul's jersey. General manager's box. Branch Rickey lights his cigar. He opens a box to offer one for baseball commissioner Kennesaw Landis, 68. Cigar, Commissioner Landis. Hmm. Save the chicanery, Branch. This isn't a social visit. Landis looks around at the scattered spectators in the stands. Hmm. Always this many empty seats? A lot of out-of-work folks out there. Well, we're hoping it'll pick up. You'd better hope a little harder. I've been thinking about making St. Louis a, a one-team town. Branch clears his throat to keep his composure. <clears throat> well, the Browns haven't been faring nearly as well as us. <laughs> Don't fool yourself, Branch. It is possible for both runners to finish last in a two-man race. Commissioner Landis closes up the cigar box. Some fingers switch on the sound system. Out of the speakers comes Dizzy's voice. Good morning, ladies and gents. It's your old pal, Dizzy Dean here. Dizzy speaks into a microphone and looks down below at the small crowd of spectators. They gaze up and applaud him. Branch droops his face into his hands as he and Commissioner Landis hear Dizzy over the speakers. Welcome to another great season at Sportsman's Park, the home of your St. Louis Cardinals. Commissioner Landis stands up. Get a hold of your team and start turning a profit. He buttons up his blazer and puts on his hat. Or St. Louis might just end up as a, a no-team town. Commissioner Landis leaves out the back. Branch nearly bites through his cigar in anger. The Cardinals run out of the dugout and take their positions. Frankie and Leo warm up with some ground balls. Frankie notices no one at third base. Where the hell is... He spots Pepper sprinting out of the dugout. With one hand, Pepper pulls up his pants and tucks in his jersey, all while licking an ice cream cone in his other hand. Pepper, where the hell you been? Oh, sorry, Skip. There was an emergency, so I ran all the way here. Frankie sees Dizzy running down the aisle in the stands. The fans slap Dizzy on the back as he runs by. Dizzy hops onto the field from the first row and jogs to the mound. Frankie takes a step towards Dizzy, then turns back to Pepper. I know I'm going to regret asking, but... What was the emergency? I'm eating it. Pepper swallows the last bit of ice cream cone. Frankie shakes his head as he hands the ball over to Dizzy. No, we're not crazy. We're perfectly sane. Frankie heads to second base. Dizzy points his thumb at him. Skipper's going out of his mind. Ooh, who ain't? Want some warm-up tosses? Nah, just send in the first guy. Pepper smiles and takes his position at third base. Paul watches Dizzy from the dugout. The Pirates batter steps to the plate. Son, which pitch do you want to miss? Dizzy kicks his leg up and throws some heat. A cartoonist draws a picture of Dizzy. He's throwing a ball so fast that it burns a hole through the hitter's bat. The cartoonist and other reporters surround Dizzy. Why do you tell everyone to not catch that foul ball back in the sixth? I bet a fan that I'd strike out the side. Good thing Ripper let it drop or else I'd owe that kid a nickel. Across the room, Paul changes out of his uniform. He bitterly peers over at the reporters, laughing with Dizzy, when Pepper steps up to block his view. But naked. Where are your drawers? I never wear any. Pepper tries to hand Paul his dirty uniform. What am I supposed to do with this? Rookies have to wash the uniforms. Seems a little unfair. Only thing fair in life is a hit inside the chalk lines. Paul turns away to take Pepper's uniform and sees Frankie shut the door to his office with Branch and Leo inside. Branch paces around the room as he scolds Frankie and Leo. Y'all look like a dang circus. Step right up, folks. Branch shoots Leo a dust stare. That's not the type of team that I'm running here. 
What, winners? Hooligans. You're paying us to be ballplayers, not altar boys. Maybe I should. I'm implementing mandatory church attendance before every game and an 11 p.m. curfew. That's horseshit. Branch blows his cigar smoke directly into Leo's face. Frankie puts a hand on Leo's shoulder to settle him down. Say you get what you want, Branch, but being a manager keeps me busy. I'll have a hard time making sure the boys stick to your rules. Then I'll find someone who will. I seriously doubt you can afford to be unemployed. Branch grinds his cigar into an ashtray to cement his point. What hope the Cardinals started with after opening day has now fizzled. Next game, Paul helplessly watches a ball jump off a Pittsburgh player's bat and sail into the outfield. That's four runs in the young Dean's first start. Later in another game, Dizzy throws a fastball over the plate. The batter scorches the ball over first base. Ripper leaps, but he's too short to come up with the catch. The struggles continue as Dizzy loses his second straight. In the infield, Pepper juggles a ball hit toward him. He throws the ball to Frankie at second, who drops it. The runner from first safely slides into second base. The Cardinals fall to sixth place as Daffy Dean can't keep it close from the pen. At the plate, the umpire calls a third strike on Leah. Strike three! He threatens the umpire with the bat. The umpire ejects him from the game. If the problem is the players, then you start new ones. If it's the coaching, then you fire him. If it's the pitching, <laughs> then you bribe the ump. But what if it's everything? Paul sits on the bench watching his team hit against the Phillies. Dizzy plops in the empty seat next to him. Philadelphia Phillies, city of brotherly love. Dizzy puckers up some kisses at Paul. He shoves Dizzy back. Not in the mood, Jay. Eh, yeah, we all go through slumps. Well, not me, but we is in everybody else. Pepper comes up to them while holding a sack. But don't worry, me and Pep got it all worked out for you. Got that black cat you wanted, Diz. What's a cat gonna do? We're gonna put a hex on the other team next time you go out. That's the dumbest thing I've ever- Paul peeks inside the sack. He jolts backwards. There's a snake in there! Oh, that's for the zoo. When we get back... Wait, that must mean the cat. Oh, sh- Pepper dashes towards the locker room. <laughs> Paul and Dizzy bellow out a big laugh. Leo and Frankie watch the game from the dugout seats. Frankie hears laughter and turns to a jovial Paul next to Dizzy. Get Paul up. You sure? We actually got a chance to win this one. Frankie pats his belly. Call it a hunch. More like an ulcer. Leo heads to Paul on the bench. Paul stands on the mound. He checks the two Phillies base runners as they take their lead off of second and third. The Cards are up three here in the ninth. Dean is in line for the win if he can get out of this jam. Paul settles and throws his pitch. The Phillies batter pops the ball in the shadow left field. Medwick charges hard, but at the last moment he slows down to let the ball drop rather than risking to die for it. Both runners score as Paul glares at Medwick in the outfield. Pepper raises his arms to call timeout. He heads over to the mound. Paul smacks his mitt in frustration. You, uh, you wanna finish it up? It should be over already. Damn Ducky didn't even try for that ball. Kid, you gotta forget quick in this game. Lucky for me, it comes naturally ever since it got plunked by a line drive. Pepper hits the side of his head with a fist. And now I look on the bright side. Pepper starts walking backwards to return to third base. Like, at least I never got hit in the head with the ball. Paul hears hissing coming from the Cardinal dugout. He looks at Dizzy pointing a black cat at the next batter. Paul shakes his head. He smiles. He throws a pitch. The next batter smacks the ball high into foul territory. It falls directly into Pepper's glove for the final out. Interior diner night. Paul plops a sugar cube into his coffee. He sits by himself. He peers over at a patron reading a newspaper. The title reads, Homelessness reaches all-time high. The patron flips the page to the sports section. At the top of the page, Daffy Dean nearly blows lead late. I would have at least given you a better nickname. Dorothy appears and sits down in the seat across from Paul. How'd you know I was here? I've been following you. This is your usual spot after a game. Dorothy drinks from Paul's coffee. She scrunches her face in distaste. She adds some sugar without asking. Hopefully your second one will go a lot smoother, Daffy. 
It shouldn't have even been close. Damn ducky. Didn't even try for that last fly ball. It all ended up fine. So why aren't you out with the fellas? Paul just shrugs. Not even Big Brother? This isn't an interview. Face the facts, Paul. You got your first win today, and you're all alone. So why are you pushing away the one person who wants to hear you brag about it? How about we celebrate then, like old times? Paul reaches to hold Dorothy's hand. She smiles. I'm staying at the Gateway Motel, room 314. Feel free to come by. Dorothy pulls her hand out from Paul's gentle clasp. When you are up for that interview. The waitress sets down a to-go bag on the table. Dejected, Paul reaches for the bag. Dorothy grabs the other end. Stop isolating yourself. If you want the team to make an effort on the field, then maybe you should start by making one off of it. Dorothy lets go of the bag. Paul slides out of the booth. He carries his leftovers out of the diner. Through the window, Dorothy tracks Paul as he gives his to-go bag to a homeless man sleeping on the street. Manager's office. Frankie sits in his chair, muddy as all hell. Frank looks over to find Paul standing at the door. What do you want? I want to start again. Why would I do that? Because I've earned it. Frankie leans back in his chair to gaze up at Paul. Giving up five runs and five innings is hardly what I call earned it. Leo pokes in his head and interrupts their conversation. Got the tickets. Just let me shower, then we'll head out. Leo nods and leaves. Where are you going? Few of us are going to watch Satchel Paige pitch against the uh, stars. But I was talking. Keep on if you want, just won't be anyone here listening. Frankie wobbles past Paul toward the door. Wait. Frankie sighs as he turns around. Uh, got an extra ticket? You want to go with us? Yeah, sounds like a good time. Frankie lifts a curious eyebrow at Paul. Metropolitan Park. A ball pops in the glove of the Monarch catcher. He throws the ball back to Satchel Page, 28. Brown skin and pearly white smile that goes from ear to ear. The jewel of the Negro Leagues. Ripper, Paul, Dizzy, Pepper, Leo, Frankie, and even Medwick sit in the front row next to the Monarch's dugout. Satchel and I were on the same team. We went dependent by August and go fishing until the end of the series. Won't ever happen. Negroes and whites on the same team? I don't care if a guy is yellow, black, or has stripes. If he can help me win, he can help me get rich. Satchel strikes out the side. The monarchs hustle to the dugout. Satchel squints his eyes to spot Dizzy. Is our front row haunted or did Dizzy Dean come to watch the best damn pitch he ever did see? You know, Satchel, that's only true because I can't pitch and look in a mirror at the same time. I wouldn't want to look in the mirror either if I look like you, Dizzy. <laughs> Dizzy leans over the rail to shake Satchel's hand. Is your boy sticking around? We're going to hit up a bar with a stage, and I hear y'all got quite a band. Heard right. Most of the mudcats are here. They got pool at this bar? You bet, and a lot of gambling. Now we're talking. Paul quietly speaks to Dizzy. What about curfew? And I still got to wash the uniforms. Shoot, you're right. Well, we better get back or else you might actually... Dizzy cautiously looks over both shoulders. Paul leans in closer as Dizzy whispers. Have some fun tonight. We're in. I'll let Pat know after the game. Paul forces a smile to hide his worry. The sound of a guitar and fiddle rises in the background. On stage, Frankie and Pepper play a fast, upbeat rhythm for a mostly African-American packed house. Satchel dances with his date while Dizzy swings Patricia on the dance floor. Medwick arm wrestles a strong man in the corner, and Leo hustles an opponent at the billiard table. An uppity socialite, Grace, 31, glides her fingers along the shaft of Leo's pole cue. Paul and Ripper drink by themselves off to the side. Ripper keeps glancing at a beautiful woman. She'll never go for you. Why ain't you the confidence booster? We reach too high. That better not be a height joke. I mean, you gotta play to your strengths. Like, no one is as... Desperate? I was gonna say fearless. Paul scans the place. He sees every guy ignore a tall woman. Paul points her out to Ripper. Hmm, see that girl over there? What, the Amazon? Yeah. Now, see how no guy wants to dance with her because she's so tall? The tall woman sways alone at the bar. Every guy quickly looks away after making accidental eye contact. I bet. 
She don't care about a shorter guy, seeing as they're all short to her. Ripper chugs his beer and makes his way to the bar. Cut to, on stage, Pepper and Frankie play a slow melody. Ripper slow dances with the tall woman. Off to the side, Paul lifts his glass at Ripper, who responds with a subtle nod. Dizzy, Satchel, and Patricia watch from the bar. They notice Ripper is just short enough to the tall woman that his head presses into her cleavage when he leans in to dance. Next round's on me. The crowd cheers, except for Patricia. You've got to stop spending money on willy-nilly like this. Didn't we sell the house and get an apartment so we could have some extra money? Yeah, but not so you could buy strangers drinks at a bar. Ah, it ain't like we don't have enough. Dizzy drinks from his new beer. Patricia swipes the glass out of his hand and sets it on the bar. When will you get this through that thick skull of yours? This is a depression. No one has enough. Patricia loses her train of thought when Billy, Grace's ex-boyfriend, bursts inside. A large group of angry, wealthy, white thugs follow him. Billy shoves himself in between Leo and Grace. What are you doing here, Billy? No, what are you doing here, Grace? Pepper's fiddle shrills as he stops playing. Paul, Dizzy, and the other Cardinal teammates stand tall. Billy looks around as he realizes the odds aren't as much in his favor as he thought. Look, guy, I don't know you, or I would have socked you by now. So leave, now, before we become good friends. Billy nods and turns as though he's going to leave. But then, he turns back around and sucker punches Leo. An all-out brawl breaks out inside the bar. Pepper leaps off the stage and lands on one of the thugs. Frankie and Satchel throw one thug over the bar as Dizzy pours a bottle to fill three beer glasses. The thug pops back up from behind the bar. Dizzy breaks his now empty bottle over the thug's head. Dizzy hands a glass of freshly poured beer to Frankie and Satchel. The three cheers and drink while admiring the fight. The tall woman hits a thug in the chest. He keels over and Ripper uppercuts him in the chin. Paul catches a thug coming up behind Medwick. The left fielder twists around just in time to witness Paul crack a barstool over the sneaking thug. Paul smiles at Medwick and doesn't notice the thug get back up and give a cheap shot to the side of his head. Black. Then, out of the blackness, walks out Paul. Trudging out of the dark tunnel toward the dugout, Paul holds up his hand to shield his purple and swollen eye from the bright sun. The rest of the Cardinal team stumbles out of the pitch black tunnel and go around Paul, hung over, their uniforms riddled with dried mud. Each one plops on the bench underneath the shade, except for Frankie, who trudges up the stairs to the field. Frankie meets Giants manager John McGraw, 61, at home plate. Neither extends a hand to the other. Hey there, Frank. John. Paul rests his head back against the wall a second away from falling asleep when Ripper hands him a cup of water. Ripper notices Frankie McGraw exchanging lineup cards. Oh, I forgot. Rather than drink the water, Paul splashes some on his face. Oh, forgot what? With Frankie now uh, as manager, he actually has to talk to McGraw. Who? Frankie's old manager. Paul forces an eye open to watch the managers at home plate. Frankie McGraw review each other's lineup card. McGraw took Frankie under his wing back in the day. Frankie remains sternly silent as he goes line by line while McGraw whistles to himself. A couple years back, they got into some huge fight in front of their whole team. Then Frankie asked to be traded. What was the fight about? Don't know. Frankie doesn't talk about it. Frankie starts to turn around back to his bench. Hey, Frankie. I think you gave me the wrong lineup. Huh? Huh, never mind. For a second there, I thought we were playing the Browns. Frankie looks down at his dirty and stained jersey. McGraw snickers as he heads back to the visitor dugout. Frankie curses to himself as he dips back to the bench. He makes a direct line in front of Paul. Pick up your glove. You're starting. I can barely keep my eyes open. You can't be tired. I mean, it's not like you were up early washing the uniforms. Paul sighs and puts on his glove. And if you ever hope to start again, you better go the full nine. Paul gulps. Mm. Sorry. I had to swallow some vomit. And ask for the rest of you... Get your asses out on the field and start warming up. The players give off a collective groan. Dorothy watches as the Cardinals sluggishly take the field. The Cardinals had to drag themselves out of their dugout. She types on her portable typewriter. Their five o'clock shadows, now five a.m. beards, with their musk only hidden by the odor of their dirty jerseys. Branch Ricky angrily slices off the end of his cigar. 
They were an embarrassment. Interior stands. The minimal crowd rises from their seats. Their soft clapping slowly turns into roaring applause for their ragtag team. And the crowd loved it. Interior field. The players confusingly wave to the crowd. They aren't pretty boys like on other teams, or the fat cats who throw away half of a good steak. Dizzy picks up a ball a few feet from Paul. Dizzy winds up. Paul flinches, expecting a hard-thrown ball from so close. But instead, Dizzy tosses it behind his back to Ripper. He laughs and throws it under his leg to Pepper. They're Joe from next door, and Patty who met you his last time. The players get in a circle as Pepper kicks the ball up to Paul, who bare hands it over his shoulder back to Ripper. And on and on it goes, like the globetrotters of baseball, entertaining the crowd with their unconventional warm-up. This team refused to stay down in spirit or the scoreboard. On the mound, Paul pitches a fastball past a Giants hitter for a strike. Paul threw a complete game to beat the reigning champs. Paul pitches to the next batter. The batter hits the ball deep to left field. Medwick sprints after it. He goes back, 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 and crashes into the wall to make the catch. Paul claps in his glove to acknowledge Medwick's effort. Medwick tips his cap after Paul. But it was just the spark of something more. In the bottom of the inning, the Giants pitcher checks on Pepper as he dances a lead from first base. The pitcher throws to home. Pepper takes off for second base. Pepper slides hard into the legs of the Giants' second baseman. He can't make the tag. They became fierce, unafraid, and most of all, relentless. Later in the infield, a ground ball dribbles to Frankie. He tosses the ball to Leo at second, who then rifles the ball to Ripper at first for the double play to end the game. In a country where jobs are scarce and a buck feels like a fortune, one team shows Americans that no depression can take away someone's grit and determination. The Cardinals high five to congratulate one another on the win. They are the Gas House Gang. Frankie Frisch's home. A one-room apartment where a person could reach into the fridge while still laying in bed. Branch, Frankie, and Frankie's wife, Ada, finish eating their dinner on a small square table. Branch delicately wipes his mouth with a napkin. Just delightful, Ada. Thought for sure you'd want to go to some fancy place. No, no, I, I like to keep it more personal, but I did bring along a little treat. Branch pulls out an expensive bottle of wine. I'll get us some glasses. Ada takes the dishes away. Branch pops the wine cork. Fine work with the team so far. Third place isn't where we'd like to ultimately end up. So what can I do to help? Oh, I think you've done enough. Frankie dips some chewing tobacco into his lips. Really? I can make a trade. I I could probably get a big bat for Paul. I got the players I need. Look a little rowdy lately to me. Ada sets down three wine glasses. Each one belongs to a different set. She smiles a little out of embarrassment. Branch grins back to put her at ease. He pours the wine and gives everyone their own glass. You can make them do what you want off the field, Branch, but they're mine when they wear the jersey. And I own the jersey. You want them to obey you like a couple of cuddly lapdogs, but they're not. They're hellhounds. Frankie yanks off the tie from his scruffy Adam's apple. You know what you can do to help us get into first? Break the leash. He spits his tobacco into his wine glass. Branch scowls at the insult. If you ever stepped down from your high and mighty box seats, you'd see how a little bit of bad can do a lot of good for this team. Frankie gets out of his seat and opens the door. And for its fans. Branch finishes his glass and puts on his hat. Thank you for a lovely dinner. Branch ambles out the door. Frankie practically shuts the door on top of Branch. Sportsman Park Field Day. Hank Greenberg, 23, of the Detroit Tigers, blasts a ball over the outfield wall for a home run. Paul and Dizzy watch the game between the Tigers and the St. Louis American League team, the Browns. Them American League boys sure do bring some good wood. Eh, they're all just outs waiting to happen. Greenberg slowly jogs to first base. As he passes the Browns dugout, Greenberg spots Paul and Dizzy in the tunnel. He puts two fingers up to his eyes and then points them out at the Dean brothers. I see you. Paul stiffens up like a deer caught in the headlights. Dizzy, on the other hand, grins at the challenge. Where the hell is everybody? 
Paul and Dizzy turn to find Frankie coming down toward them. Brown's game is still going on. Tigers just won't stop scoring. We don't play till tomorrow now. Didn't Branch call you? Frankie picks up a random bat and bashes it against the wall. Paul and Dizzy scoot back in surprise. Whoa! What's up, all-star break, Frankie? Frankie points the sharp end of his now-splintered bat at Dizzy and Paul. They put their hands up and surrender. Either of you two pitching tomorrow? Dizzy and Paul shake their heads. Then do the first smart thing all season and shut your mouths. Frankie drops the broken bat and goes back to the locker room. Branch opens his car door and places his briefcase inside. His assistant reads from a notepad behind him. You've got lunch with Mr. Braden tomorrow at noon. Anything else? Frankie Frisch left you three messages. I'd read them, but... It's language not fit for a lady of class. He can wait until tomorrow. His assistant nods as Branch dips into his car. Branch sits in traffic. Smash goes Branch's passenger window. He flinches and looks down in the seat next to him. A baseball rolls around amidst some shattered glass. Through the broken window, he spots some kids and adults fleeing the scene of a good old-fashioned stickball game. Branch jolts out from the driver's seat, holding the baseball. You rotten! Branch sees a dad racing away with his daughter. 21 painted on the back of the dad's shirt, 17 painted on the young girl's dress. Branch smiles at the sight. He tosses the ball up in the air and catches it before ducking back into his car. Frankie has a towel draped over his eyes. A box drops on his desk to shake him out of his tranquil moment. Branch had some gal drop this off. Leo curiously pries open the box. He peers inside. I don't get it. Leo takes out a dog collar that's been cut in half. Frankie grins like a teenage boy who's itching for a joyride. Leo, go give the boys that speech you've been holding on to. Locker room. Paul, Dizzy, and the teen casually gab. Leo bursts inside. Shut the f*** up. All you laughing like this is some sort of game. Everyone hushes up. This ain't a game. This is the only thing keeping you alive. He points to the exit. Go down to the welfare office. Hear how much they're laughing. Leo meanders around the room. You know where I'd be without this team? Probably getting my legs broken by one of my bookie's thugs. He points to Pepper. Where would you be? I don't know. Yes, you do. Say it. Say it! Probably sleeping outside, cold, tired, eating beans out of a can. Leo points to Ripper next. What about you, Rip? Buried underneath some mine. Leo motions over to Paul and Dizzy off to the side. And you too. Getting shot in the army. Picking fruit in 110 degree heat. And what about you, Medwick? Me? I'm probably a thug breaking your legs. <laughs> the locker room chuckles a bit. Leo waves for everyone to follow him down the tunnel. Leo leads the pack of players behind him to the dugout. They say there's no more nice guys today. Well, they're wrong. Leo points at the Pittsburgh Pirates across the diamond. They're right there, in seventh place. If they lose a game, they go home, have a nice dinner, go to bed. Nicer guys never drew breath. Leo faces his gritty and grimy teammates. But I don't want them. I want you. During the game, Pepper takes off from second. He slides in, stealing third safely. His sharpened cleats shred claw marks through the third baseman's pants. I want scratching. In the outfield, Medwick lays out to catch a ball. Diving. In the dugout, Dizzy and the team pretend they're in a war bunker. They point their bats like rifles, making shooting sounds at the other team's dugout. Insane maniacs who come to kill. In a rainy game, water explodes off of Paul's arm as he throws his next pitch. How you play the game is for college ball. In the pros, winning is the only thing that matters. Later, Ripper charges to home plate. He slams into the catcher to make him drop the ball. Win any way you can, as long as you can get away with it. In the following day game, Frankie hits a ball at the middle for a walk-off single. If my mama were rounding third with the winning run, I'd trip her. Oh, I'd pick her up and brush her off. 
the team mobs at home plate to celebrate their win. But I'd say, sorry mama, but nobody beats the Gas House Gang. From the general manager's box, Branch proudly oversees a sold-out crowd cheer. Branch joins in and claps alongside the crowd. End montage. Interior hotel hallway, day. Dizzy whistles while spinning his boater hat. He stops in front of a door and knocks in tune with his whistling. The door swings open to show Paul with bed head hair. What are you still doing sleeping? We don't have a game. Nope. But Leo and Grace are getting hitched today. Now, get a move on. They're getting married already? Leo found the best way to settle his divorce debt. Dizzy places the hat on Paul's head. Get a new, rich wife to pay for it. Dizzy pushes Paul back inside his hotel room. Dizzy drives. Paul looks in the side mirror to comb his hair. He battles the glare from the setting sun. Awfully late in the day for a wedding, ain't it? Oh, we skipped that a while back. But we're showing up just in time for the free booze at the reception. Paul starts hitting Dizzy with his hat. Dizzy laughs as he keeps control of the steering wheel. <laughs> You're gonna make me crash! Why can't it ever be easy with you? Dizzy pulls the car in front of the valet station. Dizzy and Paul exit out of the car. Fine. From now on, I'll be up front about everything. Dizzy hands over the keys to the valet. Shame we don't have dates. Oh, the girls are catching a cab. Girls? Dizzy smirks, then runs inside the country club. Paul can't help but grin as he dashes after his brother. Extravagance galore. Fine china, champagne bottles always at the tilt, and a happening band playing for a busy dance floor. Paul gives a piercing stare across the table at Dizzy, who just smirks right back at him. So there I was just ironing Dizzy's suit when I get this call, and to my dismay, it was a reporter. Patricia leans forward as she enthusiastically tells her story to their whole dining table. But this reporter didn't want to hear about Dizzy at all. She kept asking these questions about Paul. Reveal that Paul sits next to Dorothy as his date. So I said, shoot girl, put on your dancing shoes and get your best dress and go ask him yourself. And of course, you accept it. What girl can turn down a reason to wear her best dress? Paul rolls his eyes. Dizzy offers to take Patricia's hand. She blushes. He spins her onto the dance floor. Everyone at the table joins them, except for Paul and Dorothy. Dizzy and Patricia shake a leg. Dips, spins, twirls. They're putting on a show. Just as the song finishes, Pepper hurries up to them. He carries two dresses and two floppy women's hats. There you are, Pep. Where you been? A lady's lunch is going on next door. They got cookies that taste like heaven came out of the oven. Dizzy gives a pouting face at Patricia. You're not going without me. I have to try these cookies for myself. Dizzy smothers Patricia's cheek with smooches. Paul and Dorothy watch the three rush out of the ballroom. I wonder where they're going. Probably up to no good. I take it you didn't know I was coming. Funny how things slip Jay's mind. So, you catch my article on the team? I might have caught a page or two. Dorothy punches Paul's shoulder. Paul winces and chuckles. <laughs> okay, okay. It was good. Real good. Imagine how good the one about you's gonna be. She slides a champagne glass in front of Paul. Getting me drunk isn't gonna work. Paul gulps down the champagne. But you can keep trying. Dorothy waves over the waiter for a new bottle. Interior country club, ladies luncheon. Ladies socialize in fancy dresses and obnoxiously oversized hats. Patricia politely speaks with a lady fanning herself. Where'd you get this stuff anyway? I got Wild Bill's paycheck by accident. Need to spend some before he found out. Well, at least after buying all this, he'll never guess it was you. I reckon he won't notice the money missing anyway. Not with as much as he's getting paid. How much is he making? A snobby lady clears her throat and points behind Patricia. <clears throat> Excuse me, ma'am. Are they with you? Patricia turns to reveal Dizzy and Pepper wearing dresses and large women's hats. They hover over the cookie table. Dizzy holds a check in his hand. Uh, howdy. I'm Daisy. Dizzy tips his hat. Pepper burps and points to himself. Uh, paprika. Patricia snorts out a laugh, then covers her mouth. Interior ballroom. A herd of ladies berate Dizzy, Pepper, and Patricia as they step back into Leo's wedding reception. 
Everyone points and laughs. Dizzy lifts his dress to stride over to Paul, while Pepper struts and flirtatiously waves. When did you become a switch hitter? Funny, but we got a problem. While Bill makes more than us combined. So get more on your next contract. You're missing the point. This is a slap in the face. I guess. But what are you going to do about it? Not just me. We. We need a force branch to give us... To give you the respect you deserve. We go on strike. That's crazy. There's barely a week left in the season. So they'll beg us all the sooner. It'll be a game. Two tops. Dizzy kneels down to be eye to eye with Paul. I don't want to do this alone. Paul nods. Dizzy claps his hands in excitement. They head toward the door until Dorothy jolts out of her chair. You're not seriously going along with this, are you? Paul waits a moment, then turns to Dizzy and Patricia. Get the car. I'll meet you outside. Patricia quietly bickers with Dizzy as they exit the ballroom. I don't get it. Where does all this loyalty come from? From Elmer. Who? My oldest brother. Dorothy's eyes widen. Before we came to your farm, a man stole him away. That night, Jay and I ran away. We yelled Elmer's name until our voices were gone. Paul blankly stares slightly to the side of Dorothy. We didn't find him until two years ago. Working for near nothing. Much slower in the head than before. Dorothy covers her mouth in horror. He lives in Texas, of all places. Has got a job selling peanuts for a minor league team. He loves it. I understand that you feel guilty, but you know that leaving with Dizzy isn't the right thing to do. It's not about right or wrong. It's about being there. Paul dries his watery eyes. Because you never know when you wish you were. And you weren't. Dorothy has no response. She remains silent and still as Paul heads out of the ballroom.